You're listening to a production of Swanson Media. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Solon Radio. I'm Joe Swanson. A couple things before we get right into the show. I am setting up my 2017 schedule. If you're a convention promoter and you would like to have Solon Radio come to your show or you would like to hire me to host your show, hit me up in an email, ogjoeswanson at gmail.com. When I bring Sullen Radio to a convention, I'm not creating content for Sullen Radio. I'm creating content for you that you can use to promote your show for years to come. We can get sound bites, clips, conversations, really capture the vibe of your show so that you can use that content to promote it. So if you'd like to use podcasting and bring me to your show, hit me up in an email. Again, that's ogjoeswanson at gmail.com. I'm also trying something new, guys. I really want to build more of a community with this show. And one way I'm doing that is I set up a Patreon account. And what that is is it's a way for you guys to support the show. Um, Each episode, you can donate a little bit, a buck, um, whatever you can, and it helps me continue to put the shows out, pay for the hosting, pay for the different expenses that I have, help me travel, do some of those conventions next year. So um, if you want to support the show, if you can support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash sullen radio and donate. I would appreciate it. I thank you guys. This is probably the model that I'm going to go with after the new year is strictly crowdfunded and supported by you guys. So you guys funded and um, I appreciate it. Go to patreon.com forward slash selling radio and donate if you can. Thank you guys. The show today is brought to you by tattoosmart.com. If you haven't checked out TattooSmart.com, I'm I seriously, you got to get over there and check them out. And if you haven't made the leap to digital, things are getting much, much easier to do that. I looked at it yesterday. A 12.9 inch iPad Pro is 750 bucks. Most of us have an iPad. We've had an iPad. There's not going to be any crazy um, learning curve to using that device. And so I think iPad is really it's really taking over and gonna be that tool that street shop tattooers are gonna be using. Tattoo Smart has brush sets, they have tutorials, they have different things that can get you going right now with the iPad Pro and Procreate. So get over to tattoosmart.com. If you make a purchase, use the promo code Swanson, that's my last name, and you're gonna get 10% off your order of digital tools. So check them out, tattoosmart.com. Ancient craft, modern perspective. Now we're also brought to you today by Tattoo Now. We've also talked about this, guys. If you need a hub, a website, a place to send people, you're tired of sending people just to your Instagram. It doesn't look different than anybody else's. It doesn't really set you apart. If you want to set yourself apart, get a website. Have one built that looks great, is going to function great. You can send people that's professional and continue to build your business. So if you want to get a website, Tattoo Now is doing a great deal with Sullen Radio. If you go to TattooNow.com forward slash Sullen Radio and purchase their basic responsive website package, you're going to get 50 bucks off. So 50 bucks off at TattooNow.com forward slash Sullen Radio. If you'd like to get a website, if you're an artist, a business, a tattoo shop, a creative, get over there now to tattoonow.com forward slash Sullen Radio. Pick up one of their basic responsive website builds and get 50 bucks off. 
Well, let's get right into the show, guys. This is the second part of my conversation with tattooer, machine builder, businessman, coffee mogul, Seth Safari. I hope you enjoy it. This is Sullen Radio with Joe Swanson, the premier art-driven podcast. Any new projects that you uh, have going on? Are you kind of just sticking with the two-stroke and tattooing, machines, the the shop? What What are you getting your hands into? Well, I have some... I have an idea for a machine that I want to do that I feel will eliminate a lot of the problems with the standard spring standard springs on coil machines and it's a coil it's a coil setup but it's a completely different style of um, spring apparatus and I and I I don't know exactly where to start with the engineering so that's I feel like that's my ne- the next thing when I when I get some time <laughs> to to dedicate to like a tweaky fucking invention. This is the thing that I want to focus on is like a new, a new coil machine setup that I've, that I've had on the tip of my brain for like a year now. And I've got some sketches (laughs) and I feel like that's, that's next. But right now what I'm doing is, um, helping, I'm, I'm, you know, focusing a lot of energy on my kids education Mm -hmm. and, um, have you know being and having a partner in raising the kids and um working with the working within the coffee business um you know having having the cafe of course it's like kind of like what what happened with me with tattooing it's like um i'm handed these tools that i feel like i can make better mm-hmm. and here i am running an espresso machine going man fuck this <laughs> like i can make something that's way more functional than this and way more attractive than this. So like I've been talking to kind of a hot shit coffee business dude about co-branding coffee tools about stuff for specifically like bespoke, beautiful handmade tools for baristas. And I know that like when I do that, my good friend Scott Harrison is going to make fun of me because he always busts my balls about being in the coffee business and being a barista but I, it's like I feel like that's sort of a natural progression for me is like the field that I'm in, explore the tools that make it what it is and uh, make some sort of a contribution to that, you know? Where do those little spark of ideas start, man? Do you, do you wake up out of a dream, you know, this, this new spring apparatus and these things that you are, yeah, you know, dude, seeing you know, in the coffee business? Where does it come from? Literally, I'll be like whether I'm, I'm like watching a movie I got fucking severe ADD off of notice. <laughs> I don't know if I've answered any of your questions. You have <laughs> incredibly well. So, so I'll be literally watching a movie uh-huh. or like having a discussion. I'll be in the middle of a discussion with my wife and I'll be like, hang on a second. And like my brain's wandering and I'll go grab a little notepad and I'll make a drawing of a thing that I want to make. And then I'll forget about it for months and then find it. Go, oh yeah, I totally forgot about this thing that I got to do. You know, like I'd come up with two years ago, came up with a way to make silent coil tattoo machines. And I was like, I'm going to fucking do this. And then like, I just found the drawing the other day, Barry. And I was like, oh shit, I hope no one else was already doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that, that spark, it's just, it really comes from as what Grime says, I have incredible ADD and that's really what it is. It's like 
every – when we first started Black Claw, I swear I had an, a new idea for him every other day. And he was like, dude, stop. Like just stop it. Stop texting me ideas. It's too much. How do you harness that? I don't. I got, like I never – like I think the only way to do it is to realize that I can't chase after every idea. Uh-huh. You know? Like I have to like – who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody recently. Forget who. I'll remember when we're done, I'm sure. And um, it was a ma- we were talking about how you know how the way we are. And he noticed it in me as soon as he met me. He was just like, "Man, he's like, you have too many fucking ideas, don't you?" And I was like, "Yeah, I have way too many ideas." And he's like, "You can't." He's like, "You can't do them all." I'm like, you have you have you figured out that you can't do them all? I'm like, "Nope," because you gotta you gotta learn that you can't do them all. Everything it's gonna happen eventually anyway. Let some of them go. Let let some let other people have some of them. You know, give some away, sell some, whatever you got to do, but don't right. chase after all of them because you never have any time to relax and enjoy, enjoy these, you know, those amazing waterfalls and rivers and shit that we have here. What, you know? What's your favorite hike up there? So far, man, I don't know. There's, uh, we're doing a bunch of them right now. So it's like always a new, my, the new one's always the favorite one, you uh. know, but we, we were out at the coast the other day and we found this one. We didn't discover it. <laughs> Somebody else discovered it, but we we came across this one that was like uh, about a, about two miles through the woods, all really steep downhill, through incredible incredible forest, essentially rainforest, that lands you on the beach right out on the coast, um, near like these incredible rock formations, like you know out, like where they filmed Goonies, like Haystack Rock, mm-hmm. like all that. Um, so like hiking through all this incredible forest and then landing on a beach and seeing like the, the edge of the earth, you know, you look out and you see like the literal curvature of the earth and you're like, Holy shit. Like there's the sun and it looks like a sphere instead of a flat disc in the sky. The sun looks spherical and you can recognize our position in the solar system. Like you're able to see like, man, like we're that far away and this, we're on this big round thing. When you live away from the coast or you're away from the coast, you don't realize that, you're really on a planet, you know, it's so much easier to see it when you're out like that. So I think that that one right now is my current, my current favorite is Ecola state park down to the, down to the water on the beach. Uh-huh. And we did one yesterday called angels rest, um, which was, it's a five mile round trip and it's, uh, 1500 foot elevation, pretty steep incline on the way up and then all downhill the way back. And that's kind of what our hikes have been lately is extreme uphill and then extreme downhill or vice versa. Right. Extreme downhill and extreme uphill. Um, and we live really close to, um, uh, I think it's the second largest metropolitan park in the United States is less than a mile from the cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we try to get into that one sometimes it's, it's overwhelming how big it is and how incredible it is. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, that's become like, that's become the thing, you know, it's like, whereas I would, you know, normally go to the workshop, I'm like, I'm going to go walk around in the woods, <laughs> right? smoke some weed and go kick it in the woods. And that's fucking totally legal here recreationally. So I can like walk into a store, buy a couple of joints and then smoke them on the way to the park. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's crazy. How much has that changed the culture of Portland? The- uh, I feel like the economy is incredible right now. Like there's like surplus money and people, it's like 
there, you know, there's, there's people are being employed by weed growers and weed sellers and weed trimmers. And there's all this money coming into these places and they're spending money on tattoos and tattooers are buying machines and, and so forth, you know, Mm -hmm. like everything it's, you know, like I feel like tattooing, the state of the tattoo business is a good barometer of the economy, you know, cause it's, it's kind you know, it's a luxury item and people, you know, they're either going to pay their electric bill, you know, or get tattooed. And most of the time they're going to pay their electric bill. And when people start having that extra money to get tattooed, it's a pretty good sign. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down here at all. It seems like people just more and more people are getting tattooed. Every time we have a guest at the shop for the most part, they're just booked out, you know, charging whatever they want to, I suppose, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, you know, like I said, the, the tattoo community here in Portland is, is massive and growing and compared to the way it was when I moved here uh, eight years ago, a little over eight years ago, it's exploded, man. Mm-hmm. All these people are moving up from San Francisco and the Bay Area and they're kicking everyone's ass. You know, Jason Kendall, like I said, has a shop full. Uh, it's like he runs he, he runs like a really like martial arts type operation, you yeah. know? Like everybody there is playing by the rules and paying attention and they're very disciplined with their work. Yeah. I, I had uh, Josiah Laughlin on the show and, um, he's a, he's a dude that we're both from or spent time in St. Cloud, Minnesota at a shop called rising Phoenix that was owned by, by a guy named Tom, Tom Jenneru. Yep. And, uh, so we both worked for Tom. We got to witness his wild, crazy antics and, um, it was, uh, we had that connection. And so when we connected on Instagram, this is crazy shit that, you know, is today tattooing, right? This person that is from my history in tattooing, um, I don't really know. And then I do the takeover on Americana tattoos, um, on Instagram. And he's like, Hey, I post a picture of me and Tom at the ink slinger ball, uh, ink slingers ball in LA in like 99. And yeah. he's like, man, that's Tom, you know? And so we connected, and, um, it's such, you know, it's cool, man. And he's such a great tattooer and Jason, I've, I have uh, lettering. Look, look, look at the improvement that Josiah has made in just the last two years. Uh-huh. It's incredible. Yeah. Like when I remember when I first saw his stuff, I was like, Oh dude does clean stuff and he's a cool guy. And now it's like, Whoa, I would get tattooed by that dude. Mm-hmm. You know, it went it, like, I was like, damn, like Jason is kicking everyone's ass there into being really good tattooers. Yeah. You know, and he's got he's got Joe there and Jeff there and all the all the J names, <laughs> Ross. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, everyone there's great, and it's like he it's like he's running like a Mike Rubendahl type ship, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's cool. It's cool to see that those um shops and you know those those tattooers are still crushing it and pushing the limits, you know, not only with their tattooing, but with the way that they are running their shops and their work, the work ethic. Now it's like Uh some people, I feel like the people who are like rising above and beyond and like setting new standards have just incredible work ethics. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you look at, you know, look at the Kings Avenue crew. Everybody there is, is amazing. And it's because they work so hard and it's because the, the standard that Mike sets as a boss and as a role model like how could you how could you not try to live up to that when you when you when your boss is like one of the hardest working people in tattooing mm-hmm. you know like how can you slack off when that's the example that's set for you yep. you know when you have when you have a place like Atlas Tattoo where everyone there works really hard and pushes each other to to be better than they are because they're like they'll tell each other like that sucks do yeah. it better you know <laughs> right 
you know, instead of being in a shop where everyone jerks each other off and says how great they are, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I I really feel like it, the people that are that are above and beyond are the people with the strongest work ethic, like Grimy. You know, fucking. I'm like, it having him as a partner is really good for me because it it for the most part keeps me on task and I'm always afraid of letting him down because yeah. I know like what sort of expectations he places on himself, you know? And when somebody places expectations on themselves that are, that are really, uh, that are pretty, pretty incredible. They expect that of people around them, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes uh, unwittingly. And I've tended to do that myself in all sorts of scenarios where like I, I expect a certain thing of myself and then therefore expected of those around me. And it's unrealistic, honestly, to do that. But those are the people who are head and shoulders above the rest. Like I said, mm-hmm. Mike Rubendahl, Grimey, Grez, Jason Kendall, and mm-hmm. so, so on and so forth. The people that are just, you know, the ones that are blowing our minds are the ones who work the hardest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, to keep you working hard, man. What's the, what's the coffee of choice? Like what, uh, you walk into two stroke to start a shift. What are you going to be pulling for yourself? I usually, I'm usually, uh, drinking Americanos made with whatever espresso we've got on. And we usually just have like a pretty decent blend. Um, we, we like, we do two main coffees right now. We're starting to get it more into the single origin stuff. Um, uh, we do, uh, an espresso that's uh, primarily a Guatemalan base, you know, and like, you know, it's hard to, it's hard, you really can't keep the same beans throughout the year consistently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, generally what you'll do for an espresso blend is you'll use something that's the most readily available to make your base. That's like your go-to flavor notes. And then you'll kind of throw things in over the course of the year, depending on what's available seasonally, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, certain crops run out and then there is no more of that. Um, so I'll usually have whatever, whatever, you know, we, this espresso we use called El Toro, which is from a, a local roaster called Water Avenue. I feel like they're one of the best roasters in, in the world. I love working with them. And, uh, it's generally like I pull a shot, I drop it into eight ounces of water <laughs> and then drink it like coffee, you know? And, uh, but you I add anything I, to it. Do you put anything in it or nope, you just straight nah, black? Just straight just straight. And I, lately I've been really getting into Ethiopian coffees. Um, and I, and I, and I think it's said that Ethiopians a lot of times are like the aha moment for people when they, when people get into coffee, the ones that are the most noticeably different and the most noticeably, uh, recognizable, you know, certain, certain types of flavor notes that are real obvious and readily apparent and the most easily accessible and easiest to describe are Ethiopians. And, um, when you start discovering the different regions of Ethiopians, it becomes even more apparent. Like they're, they're pretty incredible when, you know, when you really start to pay attention to this stuff, you know? Um, so I'll usually do like a cold brew, like a straight cold brew with Ethiopian, like one of like a Sadamo or something. Um, or, uh, right now I'm doing a Brazilian cold brew. Um, and we're actually getting ready to do, and this is, uh, I thought, I thought we were the first ones doing it. And apparently we're not. <laughs> I was like, I got this fucking great idea. I want to do flights of cold brews. Like I want to do like four cold brews on tap, two ounce pours of each. So you get eight ounces of cold brew with an information card that talks about each of the individual single origins, so on and so forth. And I'm, and I'm like, I ordered all the parts to get my taps put in. And 
like this was just yesterday I ordered all the parts for the taps and last night I'm digging around online <laughs> um, and I'm like fuck somebody else is doing cold brew flights and they're in Portland and look at the way they're serving them it's way cooler than I even thought to serve it <laughs> like they're using like these really cool little glass jars they take these little glass jars and they put an inch of water in the bottom and then freeze it so it's got a little block of ice at the bottom and then they pour the cold brew in they serve it with the cold brew on ice in these little jars um, with like a little like a little hang tag around the neck of each jar with a number and then it corresponds with the number on a card and I'm like motherfucker <laughs> like not only did they do it first but they're doing it cooler than I wanted to do it and now I have to now I have to up the game and do it even better so it's it, I don't know I guess it's more more the same for me it's just a, it's same same shit different shuffle uh-huh. you know do you pretty much uh, have your schedule mapped out? Like, are you pretty locked into a schedule, or you just wake up and see what the day's going to hit hit with you? No, no, the answer to that. <laughs> you know that I have no schedule. That was a, <laughs> that was a fucking setup question. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't have a schedule, and that's that's what I need. I think it's like, like <laughs> much to my wife's chagrin. Like I've got, and that's the, her biggest complaint is you've got no fucking schedule. Like every day. <laughs> She'll be like, what do you have to do today? And I'm like, I'm going through my mental Rolodex of things that I'm that I'm remembering to do. And I'm like, oh shit, I need to go to the bank and I need to make a machine. And I and I'm like, I don't, I don't have no and I should be make I should have a planner with notes. And I've got a fucking smartphone. And all I use it for is like texting people and you know, social media. Like I can't I don't use it to remember shit like I'm supposed to. Uh-huh. You know? Um, what what technology do you what is the difference like of because diving into certain technologies and just kind of being like ah, ah whatever on the uh, other technologies um with you man like it's uh do you find yourself drawn to certain things or or like you know what man i feel like uh, like it's getting to the point where i'm legitimately starting to feel old because some <laughs> just like nah i'm not even gonna try uh-huh. Like, I don't know how to use Snapchat. I was just going to say, are you on Snapchat? No. And I try to be. I have a Snapchat, but I'm so afraid of like accidentally sending the wrong picture to the wrong people, like sending <laughs> it to a group instead of sending it to a person. It's like I want to send something to my wife and it ends up going to everybody, you know, everybody, which <laughs> I which I've done. And unfortunately, it wasn't anything like lewd or lascivious, but it was something really dumb. It was like a picture with of me with a black eye, you know. <laughs> And I thought I was sending it to my friend and it went to like, you know, everybody who f- happens to follow me. And I'm like, fuck, like, how do I delete this? <laughs> like, how do you delete a story? You know, I don't even know what this thing is. So I just, and it was the same, <laughs> the same week that I gave up on Snapchat, I fell in the shower. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. Like, I, I, you know, and today I was at the AT&T store trying to sort some shit out with my bill and they've got a virtual reality goggle thing oh, shit. that a phone attaches to like the phone clips into the front of it and then you wear it on your fucking head like <laughs> goggles and i picked it up and i looked at it and i was like nah and i just put it down and i was like and i think i think i find i figured out where i draw the line you know like i'm i don't want wearable technology i don't want a fucking apple watch that tracks every step and i and i feel like that's the direction that technology is going is mm-hmm. biotech where like previously you know you had technology and humans that were sort of like running these parallel lives and evolving 
at a similar rate. And now technology is evolving so much more quickly and becoming so much smarter than humans mm-hmm. that that those paths are intersecting more and more frequently. And when you see something like the Apple Watch or the fitness bands <laughs> right. that are quite literally recording every step you take mm-hmm. for the sake of marketing, for the sake of data mining, this is quite legitimately to sell you things. And it's, it's become hidden in plain sight where they go, don't worry about it. You know, like, what do we have to hide? We're, we, you know, we're telling you right, you know, right up front, this is a watch that you wear and it, you know, it tracks you. And right. like, there's an app that diagn that like it, it, uh, analyzes your sleep. You put your phone on your bed. And then based on the amount you move and how frequently, it tells you how good of sleep you got. And that is like crossing over into that realm of discomfort for me. You know, like where like where do where where do people draw that line? Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like nowadays people have no concern for drawing that line. Most people are just like, fuck it, sign me up, put the put the fucking wristband on me and track every step that I take. Uh-huh. And no one's thinking – well, most people aren't thinking twice about it. They're like, yep, I'm in. Two-year contract? Sure. You know? Right. And and then they're like, why am I getting all these ads in my email? You know? <laughs> you know? And and sure. uh, I, I – like I, I try to play video games with my son and I can't figure out how to use the controller. <laughs> and I'm like, God, you know, like there's just too many things. And Were you I'm, ever and a gamer? I, like did you ever no. – no. I like I tried when I was a kid, but like I like I never had games like when they were new or like right. cutting edge. It was always a few years after the fact. You know, <laughs> like I I you know the guy who my mom was married to when I was real little was a crazy crazy like outlaw biker cokehead who um, it would literally like from the age when from when I was two until nine we lived with this guy in New York City in the Bronx. And he was this bad, bad dude who would do like – he was like a hired killer for like a really notorious motorcycle club in New York City. And um, he would be naked all the time, like always butt-ass naked, smoking cocaine, eating ice cream and playing video games. And this was Atari 2600 back then and he'd be playing fucking Pong naked, smoking cocaine having hookers at the house, selling drugs out of his fucking bedroom, fucking you, you name it. And like, so, and I wasn't like, we had the video games there, but I wasn't allowed to play it. You know, I was like, it was always like barely within reach. And I was a little kid seeing the video games, but the crazy Coke smoking naked guy was playing them. (laughs) It was, you know, the funny thing is that was my introduction to tattooing. Like Mm -hmm. he was covered in tattoos from big Joe in New York, big Joe Kaplan, um, where, Zeke Owen worked mm-hmm. and Louis Lombie worked and that's when those dudes worked there. So my mom and this dude were at that tattoo shop fairly frequently and I was exposed to these dudes having no idea who they were. Mm-hmm. Like I remember it vividly playing in the tattoo shop with Joe Kaplan's son Adam who's now a very established tattooer who's got a son who's a tattooer. <laughs> Crazy, right? Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, when did so, you meet? You know, <laughs> when, damn. When did you meet Malone? 
I met Malone, let me think. My brother introduced me to Malone, I want to say around 90, 95 or 96. Uh-huh. It's probably 95. My brother started corresponding with him. Uh, Malone was still in Hawaii. Uh, my brother started buying some paintings from him. And he turned me on to him. He was like, you got to buy some paintings from Malone. Like, he's fucking cool. Um, and uh, he's like, he's cool. Once you send him some money. <laughs> Malone's thing was like money talks. And when you, yeah. as soon as you sent Malone a couple hundred bucks, he just opened up. And he started writing me letters. And he would fax me. Every day I'd come in, to, I'd come in and work at Little Vinny's. And it'd be this big, long, and he'd write in these big, crazy, loopy letters. So, like, you know, one page was like four sentences. He wrote huge. <laughs> So I'd get these stacks, this like big, big pile of, of pages from Malone talking, talking shit about Ed Hardy, you know, <laughs> like talking shit about blacks, you know, like fucking just going off. And um, when he was spending a lot of time in Minneapolis is when I started, when I started hanging around Malone and I went and met him. And uh, I think I met him, I first met him be, uh, a bit before that at uh, one of J.D. Crow's convention, a tattoo tour. I want to say it was 93 or 94 at Cherry Hill. I met Malone there. He was there with Scott Sterling and Doug Hardy. And I and I knew who Malone was from the Tattoo Time books. And I knew that Scott Sterling was – I knew that, that he was a guy who made machines. And I knew that Doug Hardy was Ed Hardy's son. So I was like, well, this guy's he's got to be important. It's Ed Hardy's kid. I should probably be, you know, I should probably know him. And they were all super, they, were, they didn't know who the fuck I was at all. They had no reason to know who the fuck I was. I was just a kid. Um, but they were all super cool to me. Um, but very early on, I, I recognized Malone as as a salesman and as a carny. He was there peddling machines. He was doing his thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, selling Rollomatics and Bulldogs and flash sheets and the Sailor Jerry sketchbooks and all that stuff. And, um, uh, once I started corresponding with Malone, I started kind of palling around with him. It was kind of like, uh, you know, like uh, like people do uh, with motorcycle gangs, where they where they like became where they become a hang around, become a hang around and then a prospect. It was kind of like that. I was like, I would just show up and kind of lurk around his booth at conventions and whatnot. And then I started buying art from him, and then I started talking to him more. And he started telling me stories. And then he started critiquing my tattoos, and then he started critiquing my machines. And then we became friends, uh-huh. you know. And I was like, I kind of like snuck my way in there, uh, as uh, I guess I, I don't I don't even know why. I have no idea why he took a liking to me, but he did for some reason. And we hit it off really well. And then when um, when I first got some frames cast um, at the behest of at like Malone's insistence, he was like he was complaining about the Spalding machines, the Spalding frames, and he was trying to get the old ones to build on, but nobody was really coming off of them, um, and he was tired of building the new ones. So he's like, "Man, somebody should make a fucking cast iron." supreme and um i had a i had a couple of prototypes made and i sent one to him and he was like yeah let's do it let's make these and i i had some done had a hundred of them and the and the deal was we were supposed to split them um but i sent him i sent him half the frames and they all fucking broke they were all gray iron and of course he never paid me for those because you know they were fucking junk because i was out i was out a bunch of money and then had to do it again uh gave him a good batch of frames to replace the ones that he got the first time around and then shortly after that he hooked up with Keith Underwood and they started doing a new casting uh, for the Rollomatic Mark II or the Mark I think it was the Mark III actually mine was the Mark II um, and that would have been right around um, 
99 or 2000 when he hooked up with Underwood doing those. And, and, you know, he had previously, he'd been doing those bulldogs with my brother. Um, and they had a falling out, uh, over a disagreement as to money, you know, over money, you know, it was, it was a, it was a thing where, you know, there's, there's three sides to every story. Right. And then there's the truth. (laughs) Right. There's his side, there's the other guy's side, and then there's the truth. And, you know, and they were both, uh, they were both in a bad way at that time. My brother and Malone were both using and abusing drugs Mm. and pointing their fingers at each other, at each other, calling the other one a piece of shit when they were both being a piece of shit, you know? And, uh, unfortunately for my brother, Malone's word carried a lot more weight. And, you know, no matter what he said, it was the law. So when he wrote an open letter to my brother, you know, basically calling him out for being a scumbag, which he had every right to do, but it was the, the pot calling the kettle black. Um, when that, when that letter was published, um, on the Lucky's website, there were a lot of, there were a lot of people taking sides who didn't know, who didn't know the story. And it put me in a really shitty position because I really looked up to Malone and I really looked up to my brother. And at the time I didn't know what to believe because my, I knew, I knew my brother was fucked up. So I didn't think I could believe anything he said. I didn't know Malone was, I didn't know Malone was, was in that, that same situation. I had no idea. Um, so, uh, it, it, you know, it, it caused, a, uh, quite a bit of a rift within the tattoo community. People who wanted to believe my brother, but didn't feel like they could and vice versa, you know, and, and so on and so forth, mm. you know, that's crazy that that kind of stuff, do you see, it doesn't seem like that sh- kind of shit happens as much or the impact of that kind of shit is as powerful these days. Like if somebody gets, you know, ousted on the internet, it lasts for six, you know, everybody's up in arms about it for six days and it's a flash in the pan. Like, right. Well, you, I don't know. I don't know if you remember when Hardy tried to fucking blackball Freddie. I remember stories about that. Yeah, for sure. Like he he sent out a fax to everybody. He was sending yeah. out faxes, you know, talking to talk about how you know much of a scumbag Freddie was, and that you know that had you know a bit of an impact for you know quite a while. And these days, I, I feel like there's very there's not as much loyalty, and there's not as much integrity as there once was. Um, you know, what do you like about need, tattooing, though? Well, people. All right, let me back up a little bit. <laughs> There's no need for tattoo shops anymore. Mm. You know, there's no need. You don't need a mentor or a boss anymore. Like, I literally met a dude the other day, a decent tattooer here in Portland, who's been who's been tattooing one and a half years, and he's got a private studio, and he's booked up for months, and he's you know sixty thousand followers on Instagram, and you know living his existence um, in a bubble. You know, and I don't want to say it's ignorance. Um, because I, it's it's not my place to call it ignorance, but I feel like this dude, this kid, I mean, he's young. I feel like he's missing out on a lot of what makes one a tattooer. And it's not just, it's not a tattoo artist. It's not a person who does tattoos. It's it's the the moxie, the balls that, that go along with spending time in a tattoo shop and working under somebody, literally, like, you know, at, at someone's 
back in call where you're doing what they say. You do this shitty little tattoo and then you go scrub the toilet to knock you down a couple pegs after you've done this tattoo and you're feeling on top of the world because you got to do a kanji. Now you get to go scrub the toilet. Mm-hmm. And that humility is lost on tattooers of today. There's no needle making. There's no cleaning the bathroom. There's no running to get the coffee and the lunch. Mm-hmm. Everybody's you know got everything at the tip of their finger. And you know, it's like, if you don't like it, go open your own shop. Okay, cool, I will. And that's right. what people do. Hey, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Just one quick thing before we get back into my conversation with Seth. If you're going to be in the Sacramento area, September 14th, I am hosting S8's Tattoo Roadshow. This is a free event that's going to be held at the Urban Hive um, on H Street down in Sacramento from 7 to 9, 7 to 10. A couple hours worth of good information. S8 is going to be showcasing some of their um, current products and some of their new products that they have, including their red soap, which is a replacement for the green soap that most of us use in our tattoo shops. So come out and join me. I'll be hosting the event September 14th at the Urban Hive, S8's Tattoo Roadshow in Sacramento. Uh, It's going to be a fun time. So come out to this free event. You can't beat that. It ain't going to cost you anything, and you're going to leave with stuff. So September 14th, if you're in the Sacramento area, come on out, the Urban Hive in Sacramento, and join us at S8's Tattoo Roadshow. Um, You can go to s8tattoo.com and RSVP there and come out and hang out. All right, let's get back into the show. This is my conversation with Seth Safari. I think that the those opportunities, you know, you say like I was psyched cleaning the bathroom because I just got to do a kanji. I think those opportunities were much more scarce back then, you know. Like I remember my first three tattoos and it it was because a guy let me do them, you know. There wasn't the opportunity to I mean I right. guess it I could have It wasn't your God-given right to do tattoos. You were privileged right. if you got to do a tattoo this week. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you might there was always that there was always a much greater stigma too to the idea of ordering a spalding kit and um you know tattooing out of your apartment you know that's common today you know it, oh yeah you know yeah. so it's 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 an interesting i think it's an interesting time man i think it's an exciting time um how i don't know man. like i feel like tattooing and i've said this before i feel like tattooing is simultaneously the worst it's ever been and the best <laughs> ever been sure you know like uh i i met a girl the other day (laughs) who was doing a guest spot at my shop it was the first time i met her was after she was already working there i have a partner at my shop who's in who's a great tattooer and a really cool person um and uh she's invited a, a good handful of guests to come through and and um sometimes you know like if Sometimes I get to interact with them and they're rad people. Sometimes I get to work with them. Um, most often I don't because I'm, I'm doing a bunch of other shit right now. Um, but I met this girl the other day who I had literally never heard of. Um, she literally has like a quarter million followers on Instagram. She was tattooing with a needle bar wrapped in tape. And she was scratching on the skin and rubbing ink into it and making these like I'm, – I'm not kidding, dude. Like she was doing these little like scratch and stick like hipster tattoos and I like and it was and I, and I don't want to diss the girl at all because I mean she's cool. Like she's a cool chick 
and I, it was funny thing is I'd met her. I met her the night before I was, I was volunteering at a fundraiser. I was bartending, serving, I was, do, I was doing a fundraiser for this cancer thing. And I met the girl, she came up and she like asked me for a light. And I was like, homegirl's not from around here at all. Like I saw the chick and she had like gold teeth and fucking, you know, like she looked kind of, kind of hood, but like in like a de onward, you know, kind of like fucking hipster kind of way, you know, like in an internet way. And, uh, you know, look like something, somebody out of Vice Magazine, you know? Right. And uh, it was like a pretty small event in my neighborhood, which is a pretty small neighborhood. And I, I didn't even put two and two together that she was there to tattoo at my shop. And then I went into the shop the next day and she's there. And I'm like, oh, that's who that is. And I <laughs> put two together and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck, dude? You know, like she's got literally got a needle bar bent in half, wrapped in masking tape, and she's scratching these little things. And people are fucking hyped. And I'm not dissing what she what she was doing, but she's built this incredible following. Is booked up way more than I could ever hope to be booked up. Doing shit that like I would have gotten slapped by my mentor. Like my mentor would have literally kicked my ass for it. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't even allowed to dress how I wanted to. You know, like he made me get a different car because he didn't want my piece of shit car parked in front of his shop. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like shit was fucking wild back then compared now. It's just like every man for himself. And to get back to what you were saying, nobody cares about the loyalty aspect of it. No one gives a shit. Somebody burns somebody. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, that's uh, that's not how I operate. If you fuck over one of my friends you fuck me over, you know, and I'm not going to give you a pass if you fuck over one of my friends, but people just don't care. And when I like, I'll hear like so-and-so's cool with this guy. I'm like, how are you cool with this guy that is known to be a piece of shit? You know, like, you know, this guy's a piece of shit. Well, he didn't do it to me. Well, like, but he did it to one of your friends. Like, what do you like? What is this? You know? And, and I feel like it's because no one needs to be in a tattoo shop anymore. Uh-huh. No one cares about being in a tattoo shop anymore. If you don't like where you are, you, you fucking go on Instagram, you know? <laughs> are you going to be tattooing when you come to, uh, in October to the um, Bay Area ta- uh, Convention yeah. of the Arts? I actually have an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I, uh, I, I found, I, and I found what it is to be irrelevant. Um, I have, a couple times now, um, put it out to the universe that I'm doing tattoos and I've gotten no response. Sure. The universe doesn't, the universe no longer gives a shit when I do tattoos, which is fine. Um, you know, but it's funny cause like other tattooers will come to town and they'll visit with me and I'll be like, I have a tattoo to do tomorrow. And they're like, you do tattoos? And I'm like, well, yeah, when people ask me for them, they're like, well, I didn't think you did them. Otherwise I would ask you for them. I'm like, well, whenever I announce that I, that I do them, no one seems to care. Right. So I just kind of keep it on the DL cause it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> There's some of that. Do you think some of that works toward to your advantage though, man, with the, like the exclusivity thing and, and, uh, like you said, you know, taking yourself out of certain situations sometimes like you did when you went to Spain, um, almost can lead to that fervor of you know people wanting that thing. perhaps but i don't think i don't think that um <laughs> i think that people are aware that if you take a long time off from tattooing you don't get better at it you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like there's so many good tattooers uh-huh. these days 
that it's like, why would somebody want to get something from me other than for nostalgia? Other than like, I want something that looks like it was done in 1998. You know, <laughs> like, is that what people ask for? I mean, do you, is it become that? No, nah, not, not as much. I guess I'm kind of beating myself up where I don't need to, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, people, they, there's like a, there's like a list of things that people feel safe asking me for. Sure. You know? And, um, I would love to do stuff other than that. And I guess it would be a matter of actually just doing it. it I, it's like back to the drawing board where, uh-huh. you know, in order to build a clientele, you have right. to do a bunch of stuff and give it away and take pictures and then put it out there that that's what you're doing and hope that people like it. Yeah. <coughs> Interesting you know? that those fundamentals haven't changed, right? You know, everything around it has changed, but that fundamental of really pure salesmanship and, and using the tools that we have, like Flash as a sales aid, are things that you still have to do. Yeah, but like now you go, now when you go to conventions, people have a little array of line drawings taped out on their table and they're like, convention special, $200 when it should be a $500 tattoo. And it, and it, it's kind of a bummer to see that, that, people have gone to such lengths to get work, mm-hmm. you know, that it's like now that everything's on sale, mm-hmm. you know, well, I, like, think, I think that has to do a lot with the influx of so many people, right? Like yeah, man. so well, many like, conventions. If you, and, have a shoe store, if you have the only shoe store in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to have plenty of clientele because you're the only one there. Right. If 10 more open up on your block, Everyone has sales. Yeah. I think what everyone's competing for the same business. I think when we'll start to see changes when people do like what Jack Rudy said on this podcast was stop supporting douchebags. And we, you know, we do support the conventions. Let's say in the example of conventions, like we do support those shows that we know have a longevity and a history and are going to do the right things are, yeah. you know, um, that we go to and we don't go to the, the small ones that everybody's right, well, fighting f- for that two hundred dollar tattoo. It's not that necessarily the small ones; it's the disingenuous ones. Sure, yeah, yeah. Size you know, like some of the small ones are dope. You know, mm-hmm. the Wilkes Bar convention's been around forever. You know, the uh, what was the one in New York? The one that was around forever, the Am Jam. Uh-huh. You know, like that shit was a killer convention back in the day. You know, and it wasn't some big like media hype thing. Yeah, what made it know? fun? What made a con- back in the day, man? When you were heavy on that convention tour, what made it? A convention what made fun. it fun was was the energy, the the excitement, the like, holy shit! Did you see that thing that Chris Trevino did? Yeah. And this was before the Japanese stuff. This was the like big crazy Texas tattooing that he right. was that he was forging him and Sean Deegan, you know, and and uh, Aaron Kane and you know all those guys from the early '90s that were just forging and like burning shit down and burning down conventional wisdom and saying you don't have to outline with a five or a seven you can outline with with a mag if you want to and run it in circles and make huge outlines and then you know color it in lime green if you want to there's no there were no rules anymore and these right. guys were proving that there were no rules and uh you could have blue hair and a hawaiian shirt and fucking stretched earlobes and fucking whatever other dumb shit you wanted to do at that point like you know there was no you know when, for those of us who came into the business working for bikers you know, and you had to do Cherry Creek Flash with a with a Type Three and a fourteen round, and that was oh. it. You know, those were the rules, and that was it. And then when there were no rules anymore, going to those, working in like a pretty old school, like typical biker shop, and then going to the conventions, it was like 
night and day. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it was like seeing the light for the first time. You're like, holy shit, I like this. I want to keep going back. And that's what that's what my brother did. You know, he was working for the same biker that I was working for. He started going to conventions with Matt Rinks. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. him at all. Yep. Matt, Matt Rinks was a visionary back in the day. You know, like he was doing shit like nobody was doing. <laughs> and he opened up my brother's eyes to this whole world out there of what we called new school tattooing. Right. And that's really what it was back in the day was like the energy, the excitement, the like the sharing, the like you'd sit up till four o'clock in the morning talking about machines with people. Uh, you know, do you still like, get that at any conventions? Do you still get that at the Bay area convention when you go to that one or those Bay ones the like that? One. The Bay area convention is the only one where I'm stoked that in London, but London's so far away and there's so many people, it becomes really overwhelming. But as far as like conventions in the United States, the Bay area is the only convention that I feel really at home and relaxed mm-hmm. at and where like I can walk around and look at people's work and go, damn, I should get something or <laughs> I should, it makes me, makes me want to buy art. It makes me want to buy machines. Uh-huh. It makes me want to hang out with people. The other ones just make me want to go to my hotel room and smoke <laughs> right. weed and like, hide out. You know, I'm like, I'm not fucking hanging out with these people. But like I used to do a lot of conventions with Oliver Peck and we would have so much fun. We were playing dice and, you know, doing fun tattoos and just goofing off. <clears throat> and then it just became this thing where like, you know, you go and you set up and you sell stuff and you do tattoos the whole time. And you don't even hang out with your friends and then you pack up and you go home and you don't go. You don't visit where you like I go. To, I would go to these cities all over the world and never see anything. Uh-huh. I'd fly to the other side of the world and I'd be there. I would have one day to decompress from the jet lag and then I would work three days and then the next morning I'd pack up and leave. And I, and I would like, I went to Paris, but I didn't see Paris, you know? And now I don't even want to work the conventions. I just want to go to where they are. Right. And visit with my friends and go <laughs> later suckers. And like, you know, go explore and go sightsee or go, you know, climb a fucking hill and go hike or whatever, you uh-huh. know? And, um, is that something you think you'd be able to do with black claws, be able to get out to conventions and, and, repping that brand and um not having a tattoo to make money because you're there with the business you know you're there with the i don't you know what man like i think i think that the focus became the focus it it was too much on whether you made money at the Mm -hmm. convention people were like they started equating how successful the trip was with how much money they made. Uh-huh. You know, they're like, I only made three grand. I only made five grand. I only made 10 grand. And like, you know, like I'd hear, you know, Malone be like, I only made 10,000 bucks. I should have made 20. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like, this is really what it's become for everyone uh-huh. is, you know, like it's, it's become a trade show. It's become a hustle. And I no longer, that's the part I don't want to participate in anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to worry how much money I made or if I broke even. So if I ever do, host a convention if i ever do fully like build a convention Mm -hmm. i want the booths to be free Mm -hmm. i don't want it to be a thing where tattooers are paying to be the attraction you don't you don't charge a band to play you know you pay them right you charge (laughs) people to come in the door you know and you know like people so i feel like the guarantee should be that they've got a free place to work you know, and they've got free help. I mean, that's how it was at the first uh, the first Tokyo convention. Huh. You know, like we were provided with translators. We were given a free booth. Um, we there was a a donation <laughs> taken by the fucking yakuza. <laughs> sure, everybody 
kick in for that. But uh, for the most part, it was you know it was a free ride, and 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 that's how Paris used to be when Tintin was doing Paris at first. Mm-hmm. It was like I want my friends to come and enjoy Paris. I don't mm-hmm. want you to worry about making money. Like your plane tickets are and your hotel is expensive enough. Don't worry about giving me another thousand dollars. Right. You know, and, is I, and a, I feel is it a viable format? Is that I think it is, man. If yeah. you if you book it right in a place that can sustain it, yeah. But like what these guys do is they they organize conventions in a place where there's no traffic and they set tattooers up to take a loss. They bring in 200 or 300 tattooers knowing that there's not enough work for everybody mm-hmm. and they don't care. They they know that half the people are going to leave bummed out and they don't give a shit because it's a convention and tattooers think that they need to get their you know their name out. Everybody's like I got to get my name out. And they've got to work conventions, and they got to, you know, they got to make people know who they are. Uh, and most of those people are left kind of shit out of luck because there's no, there's not a whole lot of that kind of work left. Mm-hmm. You know, like a handful of people are going to work. You're either going to, you're either going to work because you're fucking stellar and you stand out, or you're going to work because you're cheap. Right. You know? yeah. And uh, you know, you got the most stuff on sale at your booth. You know, and nowadays. You know, just like they, just like people have started depending on the Friday the Thirteenth sale mm-hmm. to get their tattoo every year. They're also looking for convention specials, and I, you know, like on there's like a neighborhood Facebook group where I live, and I never discuss any tattooing stuff on there, but I'll watch people discuss <laughs> tattooing on there, and I never really involve myself with it, and I'll and I, I'll watch people talk about how they're waiting for the convention to come because they'll be able to get a good deal. Where it used to be more expensive at a convention because mm-hmm. you know you had to pay for your trip or your booth or whatever you were actually adding on a little bit of money because you were you had the ability to get tattooed by someone who was never in your town. Right. You know, like fucking Aaron Kane is in you know Westchester, Pennsylvania. Of course, I'm going to pay three hundred bucks an hour. You know. Right. Whereas now people are like, well, I'm going to wait till the convention because I can get a deal, mm-hmm. and it's all the local tattooers go there in hopes of generating more local clientele. And they put out all these flash designs at half price to rope in new clients. Mm-hmm. And that, unfortunately, is where tattooing is right now. Yeah. And it's embarrassing. How, how can they change that? How, how, can, how, would, you, what, how would you suggest um, you know, they, they change that? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's a tricky situation because it's, the standard's been set. There's a precedent that's been set, and it's a poor precedent. And, you know, you have excellent tattooers that have no choice but to participate in that if they want to make any money. Mm-hmm. So it's either swallow your pride and put stuff on sale or do something else mm-hmm. entirely and wait it out and wait for these people to go away. You know, you know, when you have tattooers that not that aren't just tattooers, they're bartenders as well. Mm-hmm. You know, or whatever else it is they do. They've got a they've got a day job or they've got a night job. Because they they themselves have sliced the pie so thin that there's no longer a piece for them. Mm. And rather than make more pie, they get an apprentice. And they get another apprentice. I had a girl leave my shop, left Lombard Street, because she wanted an apprentice. And I said, no. She's been tattooing, I think, 10 years, 8 or 10 years, something like that. And she's a great tattooer, really, really cool chick and a great tattooer. And, I've got, and, I, and I really like her a lot and I have respect for her. But I didn't want my shop to be part of anything to do with what's wrong with tattooing. And I felt like there was no reason for her to have an apprentice. And I didn't want to be the one who co-signed it. 
Mm-hmm. So she left to another shop where they were okay with her having an apprentice. Sure. And until we stop teaching people to do Sailor Jerry tattoos, we're going to have sales on tattoos and that's what we're going to have. And, you know, it's funny. I've always said like the, the world needs more, the world needs more tattooers, but we need more people like Timothy Hoyer, you know, people who are visionaries and, and Scott Harrison goes, no, we need more people that are like Gil Monty. (laughs) He's like, we need more personalities who will knock someone out. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like we do need more hard asses who aren't afraid to throw a punch and get in a fucking fight because somebody fucks up and does something disrespectful. Man, I remember seeing Gil knock a dude the fuck out at a convention for jumping off a balcony into a pool. And they were the, the rule at the hotel was like, do not jump off the fucking balcony. You're going to fuck it up for us. Don't do it. And this dude did it and Gil knocked him the fuck out. And that's the shit that needs to happen to stop all these cocksuckers with this fucking price gouging war, you know? Shit, man. You got Lombard Street Tattoo, uh, two-stroke coffee, and Black Claw Needles. You're building some machines in your spare time. And uh, what's the next hike you're going on? (laughs) The next hike? Um, I'm actually going to a lake. (laughs) I'm going to a lake um, (laughs) this week. Uh, I think that's going to be... Thursday or Friday, I'm going to Lake Trillium, which if you get a chance, Google that shit. It's amazing. It's um, at the foot of Mount Hood, about seven miles from Mount Hood. Beautiful. And the reflection of the mountain is like photo perfect. People go there specifically just to take photos of the mountain Uh because it's an an exact mirror of the mountain. And uh, it's a pretty rad man-made lake that, uh, as a result of a dam that was built in, I think it was 60 or 61 and it's a pretty dope, like swimming and fishing and, and hiking spot. And I'm, so my plan is to take the kids out there, and my lady is going to take them hunting for uh, amphibians. She's re- she's super into uh, salamanders and shit. Uh-huh. So they're going to go out and look for look for little pets to to uh, foster. I believe. Awesome, <laughs> incredible, man. <laughs> well, I hope you have an incredible time. It sounds great, and uh, yeah, I appreciate. I, I, I appreciate you coming on with me, Seth, man. It's been a great time. It's been a couple Thank years. I feel like I've been rambling. I, I apologize. It's been some pretty long-winded shit. That's okay. You know what, man? It's been a couple years coming. We tried to get this in in October, and the rain uh, um, prevented you from making that trip. And so uh, I, I'm stoked to where, sit where, down and... Where, was that supposed to be Seattle? No, it was uh, when I went out to the Paradise Art, uh, Artist Retreat. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Colorado and... Um, it was like fucking... Wasn't it crazy storms? Was it out yeah, there? Uh-huh. Yeah, totally crazy it storms. Like, there. it was flooded. Nobody could get in. And I had a, a, a crazy lineup for that. I w- that was my first live show that I was going to do, like, recording of podcasts. And um, I had uh, Doug Hardy um, to start with. I think it was, like, two people per show. It was like, Doug Hardy and Henry Lewis were supposed to come on the first show. You and Mike both, Pike. Both of these dudes are, like, some of my favorite people in right? the world. You and Henry's Mike like Pike. And Doug too, totally, man, totally. And uh, I, I took my first shot of Jameson in my life with uh, Henry Lewis in his art studio in San Francisco. I love that guy. Um, oh. <laughs> you, you and Mike Pike were supposed to be on there. BJ Betts oh. um, and somebody else uh, was was there, and dude, that whole thing got fucked up. But I ended up having uh, Big Gus uh, came on with Doug Hardy, um, right on, talk some mad shit at the end, which was awesome, and then. Uh, I still talked with um, BJ, and then I got to sit down with Chuck Eldridge. Chuck, I've known for a lot of years. 
God, that guy's awesome, man. Dude, he's he's like he's he's incredible. That's, mm-hmm. uh, do you ever have you ever watched the Ed Hardy roast? I haven't, man. I I, I definitely Look need it to. Up. It's pretty good. There's a good line. Scott Harrison, um, Scott Harrison does the best performance of anyone at the roast. He just destroys Ed <laughs> to the point of you're just like cringing. It's so good. And he was talking about the panel of people, of roasters, and it was like Leo Zuluata and Jack Rudy and uh, and um, Chuck Eldridge. And he's like, well, how can you make fun of Chuck Eldridge? It'd be like giving gone. How in the fuck can that shit just happen? Skype is a fucking... Hey, you know what happened? Yeah. Right when you were about to tell the punchline, how can you Uh, make uh, fun of Chuck Eldridge? The Skype just blanked out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. So, yeah, what Scott said was, uh, he said, you know, how could you you make fun of Chuck Eldridge? It'd be like giving Gandhi a wedgie. (laughs) And that's... You know, it's like if you know Chuck, that's just it's true. Yeah. Yeah. You should if you get a chance, go on YouTube and look up the Ed Hardy roast. I will. Scott Scott Harrison's part is the amazing. And then he makes fun of Jack Rudy and it's fucking priceless. <laughs> it's so good. That's the shit that people need to do is find those experiences that you can have, like sitting in on that kind of roast, those kind of experiences at conventions. Like go to get tattooed, right? Seek those experiences out. Um, because we're living in a digital world, and just like Jojo Ackerman said, you know what, this dude? last show, um, life doesn't happen in that five, you know, by three box, black box that you're holding in your hand, man. Get out dude, there and experience he's, it. He's absolutely right, man. Fucking, that's that's the shit that I've been talking about with my friends. You know, people like Henry Lewis comes to visit me in Portland quite a bit, and we don't interact on the internet. Like we don't, we don't fuck with Instagram with each other like a little bit, you know, like we'll comment here and there, but like we don't have an internet friendship. We have like a real life legitimate in-person friendship where when we actually, when we have conversations, it's like over some beers mm-hmm. about some shit, like yeah. real shit. That's how it is. You know, like that's how, um, my, my, my best, my most real friendships are is they don't involve technology at all. And, and I feel like. I, I would love to see a push more towards letter writing and correspondence, genuine correspondence, mm-hmm. um, and visits and actual legwork. You know where, you know people, um, you know people nowadays. Well, they message you on Facebook to ask for a job, mm-hmm. or you know to whatever, whatever it is. And it used to be they would come to your shop or go to a convention, mm-hmm. you know, and act and do real legwork. And no one does legwork anymore. And it, it's something that's really important that will eventually go away it's you know people have no use for it anymore but some of us are still trying to hang on to that you know well man i appreciate it and uh as somebody that's been tattooing for 20 years and has been a fan of your work it's been incredible to talk to you man i appreciate it that's i i appreciate that a lot um i i appreciate what you're doing um and your your work ethic with it and how consistent you are with it it's cool it's cool to see uh, what you've done with it over the last few years and, and how it's evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, in just before I split, um, what, are there any particular standout shows that you've done that you feel like I should definitely check out? <laughs> Honestly, man, the, the last show I did with Jojo was one of the funnest conversations I've had. Um, Jeremiah Barba was one of my favorites. Bug. Well, you talk about like him growing up in a tattoo yeah. home. 
totally, nice. man. Talked about that. We talked. I got to talk about. Um, he told about the experience of getting his back tattooed by Philip and Paul and um, oh, wow. uh, Guy Atchison all at the same time. You know, I mean, it was like that kind of shit for me. Remember that shit when everybody was doing co- fucking collaborative fusion fucking yeah. gangbang tattoos. Yep. It's crazy, man. You know, that, Jack Rudy and Paul Booth and Guy Atchison all on one shit, you know? Yep. yep. And I mean, that shit trickled down because, um, you know, Antonio, Antonio is another um, uh, show that was really fun for me because he talked about his time at uh, Good Time Charlie's and where that um, Antonio Mejia, he does um, these incredible, uh, you know, Mexican culture, Hispanic culture, like, um, like Aztec type pieces and nice. really big draw on body work. It's, it's incredible. And he talked about that time in um, Jack's shop where everybody, him and Chewy and, you know, all these different guys that are, were there, were doing collabs with each other, pint and these, these cats and everybody wanted to grow and, and learn and, and push each other, you know? And so that's the shit that's exciting to me, man. You know, like I've been out there, like you said, for the last you know, since September 2012, talking to tattooers on, on these shows, you know, a few hundred uh, interviews and consistently the value of hard work and um, comes up. And, and so it's, it's cool to, you know, man, it's cool to be a part of it. And it's, uh, you know, hearing those stories and, and seeing those guys actually pushing their work and continuing and then through paying yeah, homage man. to that history is awesome. That's cool. I, I'm I'm glad that you're that you're preserving some of this stuff. You know, like recording this stuff, documenting it yeah. is, is really really important. Yeah. And there's not enough people that are doing it, and I appreciate that you're doing it. Um, I know you're trying to go. It's all right, man. You know, we got, dude, this has been, this has been incredible and I got to get up hella at five with my dogs and we're on two hours and I, I could talk for another two. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know when you want to do part two. (laughs) Right. For sure. Good stories for you. Um, in the meantime, Scott Harrison just posted uh, a video on YouTube of, a series of stories of interviews that oh, he did really? with people, people telling some storytelling. Um, I will text you a link to it in Please. a little while. It's incredible. I love like, that stuff, man. There's a really good, like, there's a really good Mike Malone story, like mm. him telling a story. There's, uh, some really good, like vintage Oliver Peck shit. Yeah. Like uh, I'll send you a link in a little, while. I think it was done in, I want to say Oh four. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. Uh, and it's, it's totally the purpose. Like when I first started this shit was like, when I, my first podcast was the Joe Swanson propaganda podcast. And I was trying to propagate some positivity back into it with the stories. Um, and the idea that anything can happen when you walk into a tattoo shop, you know, and all these crazy things do happen, um, throughout the years and have happened. And I wanted, like you just, just like you said, I wanted to document that and, and kind of put some of these stories out. I've had some great experiences working at Erno's and, um, you know, in San Francisco with Greg Culls and George Campisi and, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, a picture machine and being able to see, you know, uh, a file cabinet full of Pat's acetate stencils and hold them in my hands and shit. You know, I, I geek out on that shit, you know, here, check this out. I'm going to show you, see if you can see this. That was in picture machine. That's a picture of a, how's that for a dragon? That's rad. That's fun. (laughs) Coleman style. Yeah. Yeah. 
totally man so you know to be able to like talk about that shit and and reminisce about it and um you know relive some of those experiences is great yeah dude i can't believe fucking greg calls is a name you never hear right i don't i wonder what that guy's i oftentimes wonder what that guy is doing aaron's got some fucking early biomac from that dude so crazy i just remember he had the craziest like um black style pistol on his on himself that i don't even know who did um he might have tattooed it himself on you know but you remember fucking bob vessels uh, no that uh uh-uh. look up bob vessels he had a shop called funny farm okay and he was doing like the craziest most tweaky fucking tattoos back then <laughs> i don't know what ever happened to that dude but his shit was rad yeah he was that like, standout yeah and, and personality wise and work wise yeah yeah greg was really um you know, George was George Campisi was younger when I was there, so I kind of resonated a little bit more with him. Greg was not standoffish, but you, you could tell like I wasn't. I should have been bugging Craig, Greg, you know, more about inform- information because right, he was yeah. at a at a right. way a step ahead at that time in my career, and um, you know. But that was man, that was a fun fucking time. Sleep, I slept in that shop. It was still on Fillmore and Haight. Um, Erna was sleeping in the little museum. Um, uh, on the uh, off of the waiting room and wild shit, man. It was, su- it was super fun, super fun. Yeah, dude. I just I just did a quick Google search for Bob Vessel's tattoo. Mm-hmm. I think he's still tattooing. No shit. You should yeah look the dude. I'll check he's him. Los, I'll check him out. Police. Yeah, check dude out. Incredible, Seth. Where can people? Uh, let me see. Let me see. Bob Vessel's. Okay. Yep. I'll check it out. For sure. Where can people find, uh, where, what, what kind of Instagram, what do you give out these days for people to connect with you if they want to? Um, my Instagram is just my name, just at Seth Safari, mm-hmm. just, just spelled out. No, no, uh, numbers or underscores or anything, just Seth Safari. And of course at Black Claw and, uh, my email is Seth at blackclaw.com. Mm-hmm. I'm easy to find. Awesome. Thank you, Seth, man. I appreciate it, brother. Thank it's, you. Uh, no, it's, it's the, the, the pleasure has been mine, dude. It's been awesome. Thank you. Great. Have a good night, man. I'll talk to you Thanks, soon. Thanks, you too. Take care. Bye. All right, everybody, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that show. I certainly did. It was a great time talking with Seth. Thank you so much, Seth. I appreciate it, man. Hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. Let me know what you think about the show, who you want to hear on the show, what you want us to talk about on the show. If you'd like to hire me to host your show or bring a podcast element to your show and create some content that you can use to help promote your event, please hit me up in an email, ogjoeswanson at gmail.com. That's it, everybody. Thanks for listening. Make sure to support on patreon.com forward slash sullen radio. Shoot me a dollar, whatever you think this episode is worth to you. I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you. I appreciate it. Make sure to enjoy your right now and keep hustling, everybody.